Welcome to the Wittenberg Hour. Martin Luther said, Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot, and I will not, retract anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Hour, where we explore big questions and discuss that which endures by means of that which has endured that scholars may endure. My name is Jocelyn Benson, and I serve as head teacher of Wittenberg Academy. What was the Diet of Worms? What was its significance in the context of the Reformation? Why is the Diet of Worms important for Christians still today? Joining us today on the Wittenberg Hour is Pastor Charles Henriksen. Pastor Henriksen teaches Paideia III Theology for Wittenberg Academy and shepherds the flock at St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bonterre, Missouri. Pastor Henriksen, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome, Jocelyn. I'm excited to do this, and I'm going to be marking this occasion at my churches this Sunday. Not only do I have a call to St. Matthew Bonterre, Missouri, to St. Matthew's there, but also I'm serving during a vacancy at Grace Lutheran Church in DeSoto, Missouri, not far away from there. So uh, at both of these churches this Sunday, April 18th, uh, we're going to be marking the occasion of the 500th anniversary of Luther's famous Here I Stand speech at the Diet of Worms. Fantastic. So when was the Diet of Worms and what happened there? The Diet of Worms is not a new dietary plan to reduce your cholesterol or anything like that. I guess it would increase your protein. But uh, diet is uh, just a word that means like an official meeting. The German term would be Reichstag. Um, and Worms, W-O-R-M-S, but pronounced Worms, was a city in western Germany where the emperor, Charles V, uh, summoned the princes, and he summoned this little monk from uh, the obscure town of Wittenberg to appear before him at an official meeting, a diet, in the city of Worms in April of 1521. And thus, this Sunday, April 18th, will be the exact 500th anniversary of Luther's famous um, answer to a question there. So, were diets, you know, thinking about, you know, it, it always makes me chuckle when I hear uh, diet of worms, you know, for the very reason that you, that you mentioned. Uh, when we, when we think about uh, diets, as, as you explain, were these a common occurrence? I don't know how often uh, the emperor would call one, but, um, you know, we think of the diet of Augsburg in 1530. So I don't know how often he called them, but that's what it would be called. And in German, as I say, the, the term would be Reichstag. 
So as you had mentioned, this coming Sunday, April 18th, 2021, is the 500th anniversary of the Diet of Worms. In terms of significance, where does this event stand in the Reformation timeline? In other words, uh, we remember with great gusto Luther's nailing the 95 Theses to the door of Castle Church on October 31st, 1517, but we tend to overlook April 18th, 1521. So how do these events or other events on the Reformation timeline compare in significance? I would say in the development of what we call Lutheranism or the Lutheran Church, it's one of the big three that happened during Luther's lifetime. You've mentioned October 17th, I'm sorry, October 31st of 1517, Luther nailing the 95 Theses on the, against the sale of indulgences on the door of the church there in Wittenberg. That took up one issue of controversy, the sale of indulgences. But because of the printing press, it sort of created a firestorm across Europe and got everybody's attention and uh, led to further debates like the uh, Leipzig debate or the Heidelberg disputation in the couple of years after that, Heidelberg in 1518, uh, Leipzig in 1519, <clears throat> in 1520, Luther wrote a number of treatises that got a lot of attention on the freedom of a Christian, um, the Babylonian captivity of the church, an address to the German nobility. So Luther's writings were gaining quite a following. Uh, then in late 1520, the Pope uh, issued a decree against Luther giving him so many days to retract what he's written or else you're excommunicated. That was in December of 1520. Luther took that papal bull, as it was called, and threw it into the fire in early 1521. So you have the Pope excommunicating Luther, and now you've got the political head of Europe, uh, the emperor of the what was called the Holy Roman Empire, Charles V, uh, summoning Luther to this meeting at Worms because of all the chaos this little monk was uh, causing. So I would rank the Diet of Worms one of the big three. You have 1517, October 31st, the 95 Theses. Then you have April 18th, 1521, Luther's bold confession before the emperor, the most powerful man in the world at the time. And then the third big date that I tell my students you ought to know in your head is June 25th, 1530. And this was the Diet in Augsburg when this same emperor, Charles V, summoned the what we would call the Lutheran princes to a meeting to say, I demand your loyalty. We've got the, the Turk at the gates of Vienna. Let's get it together here, boys. And they said, you can command our allegiance, but you cannot command our conscience. And this was the presentation of the Augsburg Confession, June 25th, 1530. And that really is like the birthday of the Lutheran Church, if you want to put it that way. So those three dates, October 31st, 1517, 95 Theses, 
April 18, 1521, the Here I Stand speech at the Diet of Worms, and then uh, June 25th, 1530, the uh, presentation of the Augsburg Confession. I'd say those are the three standout dates if you want to look at particular dates in the early Reformation history. Now, we don't always uh, think about, when we think about the Reformation, we don't always think about this as a, a, a political thing. You know, we think about it as a battle for doctrine, but really the Reformation was much larger than just doctrine. Or, or maybe it would be more accurate to say that because it was about doctrine, it influenced everything else. The, the religious and political <clears throat> were intertwined in Europe much more heavily than we're used to in uh, modern days. Um, and so you had the Pope with the church, you had the emperor with the Holy Roman Empire, and then you had the various princes over their territories. And, um, you know, this was, this was politically uh, important, even going back to the sale of indulgences, because the Pope could see... <clears throat> that that was getting people's attention because it involved money. So when it involves money and power, that is political. So here is this little professor, this monk, uh, unknown guy, Martin Luther, but making a name for himself, appearing before the most powerful man in the world politically and standing up to him and saying, I cannot and I will not recant what I've written because it stands on the word of God. Uh, so it did have political uh, impact for sure. And uh, uh, really in the history, just in history, historians uh, see Martin Luther, even those who are not religious, they see the political and social historical influence and importance of Luther in um, kind of the breakup of, of what was this Holy Roman Empire in Europe. Thinking about this monk and his influence, how important was his education as a monk and prior to that as a law student? How important do you think that was in terms of preparing him for the situations in which he found himself in 1517, in 1521. Uh, how, how important was his educational preparation? You know, that is a great question. And I think it also speaks to classical education, which Wittenberg Academy tries to uh, advance. Um, I, I'm reminded of St. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, who uh, in his training and education, you know, I, I've often said wherever Paul went into a room, he was always the smartest guy in the room. And you could say the same thing about Luther. His, he was well-trained. I mean, his thinking, his brain, God used those gifts 
his critical thinking, his reasoning, his knowledge of law, his uh, training as a monk. Look, he was trained in the theology of late medieval scholasticism. So he knew it from the inside. He knew the monastery and uh, the pressures. It became a personal thing for him to labor under that pressure of the law. Uh, so he knew it inside out, literally. And I've often said the worst mistake the Roman Catholic ever, Church ever made was assigning Luther to teach the Bible. Because as he read the Bible, he said, this does not match up to what I have been taught and what people are being taught uh, in the church. So he knew, I mean, he knew it from every angle, personal, historical, uh, legal, biblical. Uh, he knew the church fathers. So he was perfectly prepared uh, to, to lead this reformation. I would I would hope that that would give our Wittenberg Academy scholars some encouragement in terms of the the training and uh, the formation that they are uh, receiving in in their education, um, but also uh, to encourage others to consider how the formation, how the education of young people is so important in terms of preparation to stand firm. And so as, as we're thinking about this coming Sunday, um, April 18th, and the 500th anniversary of, of Martin Luther saying, here I stand, the importance of standing firm on the scriptures is no less paramount today than it was then. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we live in a culture, cancel culture, um, you know, we're in a postmodern age where there is no such thing as absolute truth. Uh, education and public education is not really training people to think critically, uh, people don't, are biblically illiterate. So we need this kind of training uh, very deeply right now. Yes. And as as you as you mentioned, uh, biblically illiterate, I'm I'm reminded of just how naturally Martin Luther used the scriptures in his defense certainly, um, in his writing, uh, absolutely. And just how it just flowed out of him, but that's because he spent so much time actually reading and studying and meditating upon the scriptures. Yeah. And his opponents were not, uh, able to, um, uh, gainsay him to overcome him because he was so saturated with the scriptures. So in churches that follow the historic lectionary, it's interesting to note that this Sunday, 
April 18th, 2021, falls on the exact week of the church year that it fell in 1521. Now, if if I'm remembering correctly, the the here I stand uh, statement that happened on a Thursday, but it was the the same week. So Luther would have read or would have heard the scriptures for what we call Good Shepherd Sunday, right? Um, he would have yeah. heard uh, the same epistle and gospel. Uh, f- that folks will hear if their churches follow the one-year lectionary, and those those readings are First Peter two twenty-one to twenty-five, and Saint John chapter ten verses eleven through sixteen. Just thinking about that, and yeah. knowing that not all churches uh, follow the the one-year lectionary; some follow the three-year le- lectionary, but. How does the 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 church year and those readings, um, not necessarily getting into in in depth into you know the connections with those uh, readings and Luther's uh, statement that he made at the the Diet of Worms? What encouragement can you give? Uh, God's people as they listen to this uh, podcast episode in terms of how the lectionary can can order their days. Yeah, and I think it you can make connections to Luther at the Diet of Worms from both the one-year lectionary for this Sunday and from the three-year lectionary for this Sunday. <clears throat> um, as you said, First Peter and John 10 both have about Jesus as the good shepherd, uh, the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So uh, about the good shepherd cares for his sheep. And so Luther certainly had that in mind uh, throughout his ministry. I, you, it's hard to say if that directly influenced him at Worms, but I mean, he knew that uh, Jesus cares for his sheep and that the under shepherds uh, like himself should care for the sheep. He's not just a, a hireling. So um, to contend, the, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Luther was willing to lay down his life if it came to that uh, for the defense of the sheep so that they can hear uh, Jesus' voice very clearly. Uh, now, I happen to use the three-year lectionary, and I've already planned out how I'm going to connect that to what we're calling Here I Stand Sunday. In uh, the three-year lectionary, the gospel is Luke 24, uh, 36 through 49, which includes where Jesus says to his disciples, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day be raised from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins be preached in his name, to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. So my tentative sermon title for this Sunday is Witnesses from Jerusalem to Worms to America. And that's kind of be going to be my three-part outline of the sermon, uh, how the apostles bore witness to Christ in the face of opposition and power in their day, then take it to Worms, where Luther did that same thing, bore witness to Christ 
uh, crucified and risen, preaching repentance and forgiveness in the face of oppositional power. And then here in America, in our day, where uh, we're swimming against the tide in our culture, and that we as church are called to bear witness to these things. So I think from either side, uh, you can make some sermon connections uh, between the readings for this Sunday and the Diet of Worms. In fact, I want to point out, if you Google, here I stand Sunday, or look it up at the lcms.org under the reporter, there are resources you can use for free uh, under this uh, heading, Here I Stand Sunday. And there's bulletin inserts, there's worship materials, and in the worship materials, they make connections to the readings for either the one-year or three-year lectionary. You mentioned that the third point in your sermon is going to be, you know, in America and uh, witness witnesses in America. Why is the Diet of Worms important for Christians still today? Well, you can see the courage of Luther, as I say, this little monk, a nobody, standing before the most powerful man in the world, the emperor, Charles V, and <clears throat> his conscience is captive to the word of God, and therefore, under great pressure and threat, he says, I cannot and I will not recant. God help me, here I stand, uh, amen. That is the bold confessional courage. We have the same God and the same word of God that inspired Luther to inspire us. That uh, what can man do to me uh, if God is for us? Uh, so that gives us courage. It, it isn't something that you screw up on your own. It's the word of God takes hold of you and gives you that kind of courage. It's interesting to think about here I stand Sunday in the midst of everything that you see in the news these days. And you have big, what seems to be <laughs> big things uh, coming down the, the pipe, politically at least, and now more than ever, the case for biblical literacy, for knowing our confessions, all of these sorts of things, we might not be able to halt or slow down or even uh, remotely influence the, the political wave that that might be about to topple upon us but even so why is it important that we know the scriptures and we know our confessions well uh, because this is how we know jesus christ the savior our savior the one who gives us hope that even if uh if uh People are, if God is for us, who can be against us? You know, so the powers that be may threaten us, may try to pressure us, but uh, 
we have a firm, a firm hope in our crucified and risen Savior, which is what the gospel, what the Bible is for. Yeah, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, that's our sure faith and our certain hope for everlasting life. And in that perspective, uh, this, is, this is what the martyrs had. This is what the apostles had. This is what, what Luther had, uh, that courage to boldly confess Christ even in the face of opposition. And that's what we're increasingly, it seems, faced with in our day. With instead, what you're seeing in the news, instead of here I stand Sunday, it's more like here I cave every day. You know, yeah. uh, I, I can and I will recant whatever I said that offends people. Uh, that's the prevailing thing you're hearing in our culture today, isn't it? Absolutely. And so, we speak the truth, it's going to arouse opposition. It always has, always will. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times we Lutherans kind of joke about how Luther just said things how how they were. You know, he didn't mince words. He didn't beat around the bush. And sometimes I think we... I don't know if it's fear or if it's just our, uh, you know, our, our niceties that, that we try to put forward, but we don't seem to always have that same grit and tenacity that Luther had. Yeah. Our culture tries to fit us into that mold, right? Uh, now, you live in Minnesota. There's this thing called Minnesota Nice, right? Now, we don't want to go out of our way to uh, make enemies. And if you read Luther at the Diet of Worms, he was respectful and humble, but he held his ground. You know, he says, you're my, your serene majesty and noble princes, I'm but a nobody and everything like that. But he would not cave. He would not buckle. So we don't have to go out of our way to um, irritate people or be a jerk but we can give a defense of our faith as you know St Peter says in one of his epistles about always be prepared to give a defense of the hope that is in you but do it with respect etc and i think that's where the confidence that luther had not only because ultimately it wasn't about him right as you've pointed out ultimately it was about jesus but because Luther was so saturated in the scriptures and because he had wrestled. I mean, he wasn't always so confident about what he believed, right? I mean, he he wrestled with these things and and asked questions and studied and wrestled more and and read the scriptures even more and and he he knew and was confident because it was all about Jesus, and it wasn't about whether people liked him, and it wasn't about whether, you know, he would be popular or, you know, be promoted or whatever the case may be, and and that changes your perspective on things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So he was, it was, it was standing up for the faith. As he said, my conscience is captive to the word of God. And uh, to go against conscience is, is not safe. And uh, so that gave him the cons- confidence and the courage he needed. His opponents were just saying, well, look, who are you? You're just one guy. And how can you go against the accumulated uh, knowledge and wisdom of all these popes and councils? And Luther could rightly point out, popes and councils have erred. They've even contradicted. So he knew his stuff. He knew his stuff, and he could answer the objections. Um, And they were just saying, well, look what happened 100 years ago, actually in 1415, with that guy Jan Hus. And the Council of Constance condemned him for things similar to what you're saying, and he was burned at the stake. So that was kind of the uh, cloud hanging over Luther. Uh, you, You could be burned at the stake, too. And all they could go back on was saying, well, look, the Council of Constance condemned similar ideas, but they couldn't go back and actually show where other councils had disagreed. Um, and furthermore, they could not go to the scriptures and to the church fathers like St. Ambrose or St. Augustine, who said the same things that Luther was saying. So he was well equipped for a debate, but they didn't want a free debate. They just wanted to condemn him. But Emperor Charles V had given letters of safe conduct to go to Worms from Wittenberg and then get back to Wittenberg. And so the emperor could not go back on that. So Luther had safe conduct from the emperor himself. But then afterward, he was uh, under the threat that anybody could do him harm and not be punished. Pastor Henriksen, you teach Paideia Three Theology for Wittenberg Academy. And in that class, in 12 weeks, you guys cover the entire Book of Concord. Why is this an important thing for young people in their formation as young people? I've often called the Book of Concord one great big Bible study. And that's really what it is. It's so that uh, lay people, especially, I mean, we pastors are taught the Book of Concord at the seminary, but uh, so I've met many lay people who said, I, I never even knew there was a Book of Concord. Um, so in this study, they, they read the small catechism, the large catechism. Today, we talked about the Augsburg Confession. Uh, the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the apology of the Augsburg Confession then the Schmalkald Articles, the Treatise on the Power and the Primacy of the Pope, uh, the Formula of Concord, and those are the Lutheran confessional documents. And then we're even going to spend a couple of weeks taking it forward through church history from the 1500s to today and uh, the history of uh, Lutheranism uh, in Europe and in America and around the world and the challenges that we face today. So that's kind of an overview of what we do in this course. And having taught it now, I think this is like my sixth, maybe seventh year, I don't know, teaching. Yeah. Uh, the students really get into it. They love it. Um, maybe they don't love writing the term paper, <laughs> but uh, uh, they really get into the into the theology of it. They really get it. Yeah, absolutely. And I know from speaking with former Wittenberg Academy scholars, that that portion of that class is a highlight 
of their Wittenberg Academy career. And I would encourage our listeners to consider enrolling their scholars in Paideia 3. Obviously, it's a little bit too late this year, uh, but registration is open for 2020-21. And uh, I would strongly encourage, um, generally, our our scholars in your class generally are juniors in in high school. Uh, if they have a scholar that is of that age, uh, I would I would highly encourage them to consider uh, that opportunity. Yeah, and most of them, I, as you say, are in the I would say sixteen to eighteen year old range. And uh, I have them write a little reflection paper each week on what what they've read and what we're discussing, you know, maybe about 800 to 1200 words, just so that I see that they're thinking theologically. And then they get an opportunity to choose what kind of a term paper they would like to write a little longer where they do some research. And so it's good training for them in writing that kind of a paper and thinking through. And so they may pick, oh, let's say uh, the doctrine of the Lord's Supper. Or uh, they may do, what about the reforms of uh, private confession or uh, some topic of their choosing uh, that relates to Lutheran confessions and the history of Lutheranism. Or they could read the book, The Hammer of God. That's an option. And write a, read that book and, uh, and write on that topic. Pastor Henriksen, as we have mentioned, teaches Paideia Three Theology for Wittenberg Academy. Pastor Henriksen, Thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. I, uh, I want to end with what Luther said at Worms. By the way, if you've never seen the 1953 black and white movie, Martin Luther, you can find it on YouTube. And everybody agrees that's the most dramatic scene in the whole movie is when Luther is at the Diet of Worms and gives his Here I Stand speech and the actor does a marvelous job of, of portraying the intensity that Luther has. But uh, let me, I want to just close with what you quoted at the outset of this podcast was Luther's answer. Uh, and he was asked, will you or will you not recant? In other words, retract what you have written. And here's what he answered again. Since then your serene majesty and your lordships seek a simple answer I will give it in this manner, neither horned nor toothed, meaning not ambiguous. He says, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. Thank you, Jocelyn. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today for the Wittenberg Hour. Be sure to subscribe to the Wittenberg Hour so as to not miss an episode. If you would like to learn more about Wittenberg Academy, please visit our website at wittenbergacademy.org. You can like and follow Wittenberg Academy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Join us again next time on the Wittenberg Hour.